Right here on 105.9 The Region. Today's show is brought to you, as always, by our favorite sponsor, Meridian Credit Union. Expecting more for your money? That's wealth esteem. Now, joining me here right now is our film uh, and television critic, Anne Brody. And Anne, we're actually starting off today uh, with uh, the world of theater, Kahoot Theater's world premiere of Hilot Means Healer. It makes its world premiere this week in Toronto, and we're going to be joined by playwright Joe Simalea Alcampo to tell us more about the story of an unlikely group of individuals caught up in the crosshairs of colonial violence. But tell us, give us a little tease about about what you're going to be talking about at the movies. Well, we're going to be talking about The Laundromat, the new Meryl Streep film, mm-hmm. directed by Steven Soderbergh. And I have a new favorite crush on Amazon Prime that mm-hmm. starts this weekend that you're going to L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E? Yeah, tons more. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Um, okay, so tons more. We will stay up there. We are also going to be talk, talking with lifestyle expert Lena Almeida. She's going to be here to talk fall skincare myths. I know I start mm. slathering on the moisturizer, but I've been taking collagen powder in my coffee every morning. Tasteless, invisible, and, and it's doing it's doing wonders for my skin. And wonders. You let me feel your cheek last week. Uh, you lucky was very thing, you. Soft. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yes, it, it, is. Was. it is. It was butter- well, buttery. When when your husband actually notices after thirty wow. years, uh, then you know it's that's got to mean something. Um, we are also going to hear about a new memoir from Emmy-winning actor Joanne Vanicola. Now you've seen her in uh, on the Netflix horror series Slasher, right? right? Yeah, right. So oh. she's great. She's um, also going to help us understand um, new gender terminology. Oh dear! For yes. people that are non-binary, don't say "oh dear." No, they, no, you know, it's, it's just—it's just another learning curve. That's yep, all. that's all it is. And <laughs> as long as we wrap our heads around it, it's all good. And that's what we are going right. to do now. GTA poet and your friend Marion Fraser is going to uh, be here. She's talking challenging po- poetic stereotypes. Um, and indie rock artist Havens is going to close us out in our live studio sessions, performing his single, Taking Me Away. Oh, that's a good one. Now, we've got a contest alert. You tell us about that. Well, on Sunday, October 27th at Select Art Galleries in Newmarket, you can stop by and meet iconic Canadian artist Robert Bateman from 1 to 4 p.m. It's a free family event. There'll be signed photos, canvases, original lithographs spanning 30 years, and everyone will be able to take a photo, get an autograph, and ask Robert questions one-on-one. That's quite an opportunity. Mm-hmm. We're giving away a free copy of Robert Bateman's Canada to one of our lucky listeners. It's a beautiful book, and that contest is now up on whatshesaidtalk.com. You're hired. Way to go, Annie. <laughs> now, don't forget to follow us on social media at What She Said Talk, and do download our free show podcast. You can find all the links on whatshesaidtalk.com right now. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. 
I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that you could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So let's get a a Meridian five-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Our first guest is an Emmy-winning actor who you've seen on CBC's Street Legal Reboot and most recently in the horror series Slasher on Netflix. Now, Joanne Vanicola, welcome to What She Said. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, you just released a memoir called All We Knew But Couldn't Say, and it's about the years it took you to reconcile your queer, non-binary identity with the demands of a deeply closeted industry. Mm -hmm. But first of all... um, Can you help us and our viewers learn how to use the correct pronouns? Because properly we should be using they, them, their, and themselves. And that can be confusing. I think it is. I think particularly, uh, uh, you know, for for people above the age of 20. (laughs) I think it's a little bit harder when you think about language because there's plural and singular. Mm -hmm. And I think people are so, you know, set in their ways in terms of how they've learned language. But I think when you separate language from people's lives and, uh, you know, transgender people and non-binary people, uh, you you know, there's a specific reality around gender uh, and not fitting into the binary. And that would be, you know, uh, feminine here and masculine here. That is the binary. And they're both kind of extremes on the on the spectrum of gender when you think of non-binary and transgender people, androgynous people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so... I never fit in, for example, uh, in, in a sort of classically female, stereotypical, uh, feminine uh, expression of gender. And it, it, it was so hard for me my entire life to explain what that was because people would say, well, just because you're a lesbian doesn't mean that you, you know, you can't be feminine. And I would say, but... A lipstick that, lesbian, isn't that the t- well, <laughs> one of the terms? Well, it was one of the terms. <laughs> but it was hard to describe because I didn't have the language when I was growing up. And if I'd had the word non-binary... I would have been able to say, but I'm non-binary. Uh, I'm not really feminine, and I don't want to wear dresses. I don't want to wear a bunch of makeup. I don't want to grow my hair and wear high heels. I'm not that person. And it's very, very different. Sexuality is very different from expression of gender. And I think it became the language of choice for, for non-binary people to start using they, them, even Z. <laughs> but, but, you know, in grammar, yes. they, them indicates... A plurality. I understand. And so if you were reading a book and you weren't seeing a movie, let's say, you would assume there would be more than one. So is it not a question of needing another word? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think so. Because I would find that very, I find that very confusing. It can be. The word they, them, is meant to express something. And what you're trying to express 
yes. is something else. But so I think it's just training the brain. I think it's training, training the brain. brain. It really is training the brain because I know that seems like a difficult thing, but there are people that I know who have trained their brains and they're so good at it. They're even better than I am at it. And these are like straight binary people. And I'm like, okay. they use they, them, Z, and they, they find a way to do it and they've trained their brains. Maybe there are good. a lot of other words, but we'll just stop we'll there. there. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> now, you have spent years as an advocate yeah. for child abuse uh, survivors, LGBTQ2 plus rights, and representation in the film and television industry. Tell us what it was that moved you to write this book. Uh, well, it's a big journey, the book. It, it mm -hmm. starts um, in my childhood years, uh, and it's about growing up in a violent home with two abusive parents. And uh, I had older siblings. So I had three older siblings. To you know, One of them was a boy, and he didn't really experience the same uh, abuse at home. He was sort of you know the male in a very traditional Italian uh, mm -hmm. family, and he didn't understand you know the, the, the half of it that the girls went through. And I saw my elder sisters go through so much violence and so much emotional degradation and it kind of trickled down to me um, but I, I, I sort of grew up in a climate of fear and, 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 and sort of not knowing when you'd be beaten or if you know what what might happen so it was very very difficult but as the baby and the last born uh, you know, my mother put a lot of energy into me and that energy was about being a star so there was all the lessons and, and, and the acting and, and it became like the best uh, form of escapism for I me. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was brilliant, really, in the end. Um, but it was about navigating that childhood, surviving it, uh, getting away from it, and learning then how to function in the world because I left home when I was about 14 going on 15. Um, my mother wanted me to leave. <laughs> so, And it was mutual. And so that was that. I went to another city and... and that and what it. did you do at 14, 15? I went to a high school. I lived with a roommate. And then suddenly I was living in the adult world, taking care of myself and, and, and not knowing how and t trying to survive. And then you're in the entertainment industry. Correct. How were you? You referred to it in the industry as the deeply closeted I industry. So has anything changed? I, I do think it's changed. I think it's still deeply closeted. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke to a young actor recently who... Uh, wasn't sent out for a, par a part that was uh, um, mm -hmm. asking for a gay character. Uh, it's a gay audition, and he didn't he didn't go in because he wasn't selected by by the people in positions of power because they didn't want him to play a gay part. Uh, they didn't want it to stereotype his career. So there's a lot of insidious and homophobic kind of things that happen every day in, in the film industry that one would never hear about necessarily unless you're really plugged in. And, you know, I'm an advocate and I started the LGBTQ um, committee at the union. So a lot of people now talk to me about about what it is. So let me ask you a question because we've heard recently a lot of people saying, well, that person isn't isn't gay or isn't why is a you know straight person playing yeah. them and then the response is it's acting you know everybody should be up for the part how yeah. do you feel about that so it took me a long time to really think that through it wasn't an easy um, conclusion and I don't I don't know that I have a, a full conclusion but I feel like because things are changing so rapidly in the culture um, and because there's really a big power dynamic difference, a power difference between mm -hmm. heterosexual actors and queer actors, usually it's heterosexual actors that actually get to play anything. 
it's acting. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to queer ah. actors, we are not. It's everything. You can do everything. Uh, unless you're very closeted or you can pass as straight or you're not out. And that happens for many, many queer actors. They're afraid to be out because then they will be stereotyped and then they will not get to go for the same roles of the heterosexual people audition for all the time. So it's not a two-way street. It's not equal. Um, and until it's equal, I think that queer people and LGBTQ people should be playing LGBTQ characters because there's very little out there for LGBTQ actors. Um, but it's going to take some time, I think, for, for, for human rights and equity and, and storytelling that's, that's you know, across the board to, to equal up. So what, what do you hope people take from this book and, and who do you think should read it? You I know, know you're going to say everyone should read it. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, if you break it down, I think like, you know, survivors of abuse, I think mm-hmm. women, uh, feminist, LGBTQ people, people who are in the film business, um, maybe even young adults who, you know, there's a lot of information in there about uh, depression and, and probably mental health, I guess, because as a teen, I, I had a lot of struggles dealing with the memories of my childhood. And, mm, um, I bet. Yeah, and I ended up having this eating disorder, which was compounded by being in the film industry and then wanting me to look a certain way as a girl and to hide my sexuality. All those things uh, really impacted the way I thought about myself. I saw myself. And so I think, you know, I think, yes, anybody could read it, but I think there are specific people that it might help more than others, and they might see reflections of themselves. And It's really quite uh, quite astonishing. I mean, from what you, you endured as a child with so little um, mm-hmm. support and, yeah. um, you know, sort of healthy framework, if you yeah. will, that, that you are where you are today. Yeah, well, I did get a lot of help. <laughs> you know, I went to therapy. I talked to people. I had, you know, advice here and there. And sometimes it just took a little sentence or a phrase or one book or one person to kind of just say something that tweaked and it didn't have to be a big relationship it could just be a passing moment and it was like oh i've got to remember that so yeah. where can uh, people connect with you online and yeah. get a copy of the book uh well the book is available in many small stores across the uh you know uh, well in north america and in europe mm-hmm. um you can also get it online at the big stores indigo Perfect. amazon okay. uh, or small stores like glad day or or another story or mcnally's uh, Coles, um, and, yeah. and you have a website. I do. It's uh, I have two websites. One is uh, joannevanicola.com okay. and one is uh, joannevanicolaauthor.com, which is specifically to the the memoir all we knew but couldn't say. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you for and having sharing me. Sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you so much. <laughs> What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Let me tell you about my friend Alfred. Alfred has truly revolutionized dry cleaning in the GTA. You see, we're all busy. Some may even say too busy. And Alfred's laundry list of services are here to help. They include wash and fold, dry cleaning, alterations, as well as shoe cleaning and repairs. Alfred takes care of it all. Simply drop your garments off with your concierge or at any Penguin pickup location in the GTA, and Alfred will take care of the rest. Learn more today at alfredservice.com or through the free Alfred Service app. Sign up today and get a first-time discount by entering the promo code WHATSHESAID. 
Looking for a better brunch? We found it for you at Draco Restaurant, inside the spectacular brand new Toronto Marriott Markham on Enterprise Boulevard. All your delicious brunch favorites, plus signature cocktails, every Sunday from 10 till 2. Take our word for it, you'll love the space and you'll love the food. It's easy to reserve now on opentable.ca or call 905-489-1400. Elevate your brunch, Sundays at Draco. What she said, she's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Cahoots Theatre's world premiere of Helot Means Healer makes its world premiere this week in Toronto. And joining us now is the playwright, Joe Simalea Alcampo. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you very much. Now, Helot Means Healer is the story of an unlikely group of individuals caught in the crosshairs of colonial violence. Now, they have to depend on each other or risk becoming isolated in the devastation of war. So the story is drawn from traditional Philippine folklore, legends, and indigenous spirituality. So tell us a little bit more about what we're going to learn through mm-hmm. the show. So the play is set in the 1945 during the Battle of Manila. And during this time, um, it, was a, it was during the three-year occupation of Manila by the Japanese army. And there were allied forces, the Americans, that had joined a Filipino army, as well as there was a rebel group of the Hukbalahap who were fighting for uh, to protect the people. Mm-hmm. And at this time, um, Manila was the second most bombed allied city in World War II, second only to Warsaw, Poland. And the, there was devastation in the city. And ch- Trees were charred, buildings were burned, there were uh, very little places of safety. And amid this environment, uh, in the outskirts of the city, there's um, a garden, like a sanctuary oasis that a a woman named Flor has created for herself and also for her adopted daughter, Alma. Flor is a healer. She's a magihilot, albulario in the traditional Filipino sense of knowing how to work with herbs, knowing how to use healing touch to heal um, ailments. And Alma, her adopted daughter, is the complete opposite. She's a warrior. She loves to create weapons. (laughs) And uh, they have different ways of protecting themselves and each other through the devastation of war. And on the the night of All Souls Day, Arau na mga batay, when the veil between the spirit world and the physical world is the thinnest, a stranger crosses over into the garden, Alfredo. And he threatens to unbalance everything um, that they've put into place. Now, well, it sounds fascinating, but I, I spent some of my teenage years in Australia. Oh, yeah. And we learned more, I think, about Philippine history mm-hmm. um, than because of Australia's connection yes. there as well. Um than people do here. So yes. what inspired you to write this story? Is there something in your family background that goes Yes. So my, my, my parents um, survived the Japanese occupation as mm-hmm. children. And the stories I heard growing up always fascinated for me. No matter how young I was, I still wanted to hear more. And I kept asking questions. And there was a limit to how much they wanted to share. Because I think that inter- that, that, that trauma mm-hmm. still lingers because it's not a history that's taught in the Philippines. And um, 
for me as a person growing up here in the diaspora, wanting to connect to my culture, I think intergenerational trauma is real. So even though I did not experience the war, my generation feels the effects of it, being raised by people who experienced it and yet could not really fully express the impact of it. So I'm a hopeful person, and I also believe in this play that um, healing is also real, is, is possible intergenerationally, so that things that we heal and understand among ourselves can um, impact our ancestors. And also I think that as a settler and guest living on indigenous territories on, on Turtle Island, it's really important to value the stories of survivors of atrocities. For example, we just saw um, 150,000 um, uh, residential school survivors mm -hmm. that some of the stories were released just yesterday. And they... Um, they just proved to me that these conversations we've ha we're having around indigeneity, whether it's in the Philippines, indigenous or um, indigenous people's stories of Turtle Island, they come because people have taken the risk to tell uh, stories that expose soul wounds, that expose atrocities and history that oftentimes we don't want to look at. And when we tell those truths, then really that's the only way path to reconciliation. We can't really have reconciliation without looking at those uh, those stories. So I feel like it's a privilege to be able to be talking about these things, and they, these conversations would not have happened without these uh, these stories. Yeah. Well, can we delve just a, a little bit more into the intergenerational sure. uh, matter? Because can you give people who, who really don't understand mm. uh, an example of? Uh, of when it was that the the light switch went on for you? That mm. this may be something that's not solely my issue. It's mm -hmm. come from beyond, as it were. Yes. So I think that it has to do, like, these issues that happen within individual families may may deal with, um, may come out in forms of disconnection, mm -hmm. silence, um, repressed anger, uh, and the impact on that, I think, as my generation as children who's raised by folks that went through that, um, it's this kind of um, feeling of loss, Mm. of culture, a loss of connection, a loss of being able to communicate with your parents about parts of their lives that they're still kind of uh, coping with. Well, the cast and crew is made up of, what, about 30 people? Yeah. All, all of color, and it's yeah. directed by Jasmine Chen. And there's also live music. There you is. So uh, Mary, Mary Carl Guyo is um, a, a multi-instrumentalist. All the instruments are going to be live. She plays a, a traditional gong instrument from the southern Philippines called the Kulintang. And then she also plays gongs from the Obomanobo tribe in Mindanao in the Philippines that are hanging gongs from the Lumad peoples. And um, everything is represented by, uh, by those gongs, by other hand instruments, as a connection to the elementals, to wind water, air, and fire. And every night you will have a one-of-a-kind show <laughs> because of the, uh, the improvisations that Mary Carl will be doing. And the cast is a wonderful cast of four brilliant actors who are really, the, the process has been very collaborative. They've asked me questions as a playwright that I've never thought of before because of their gifts as, as um as artists, and also Jasmine is bringing in also a lot of movement and um, things that I couldn't express in the text, she's expressing without words. 
Excellent. Now, you were born in Manila, yeah. and you were raised in Toronto. Yes. And um, among other things, you've developed community arts projects with queer youth, survivors of the mental health system, and migrant domestic workers. So tell us not just what your message is, but what do you hope people take away from your play? Mm-hmm. So I've really um, had the privilege of learning about um, my culture and really unlearning some of the um, things that I I, I find um, aren't centered in my culture. So it's a decolonization process, basically. How do you un- unlearn yeah. something? So basically... Um, for instance, I didn't know. I, I'm a psychology grad at U of T, and I mm-hmm. didn't know there was a Filipino psychology. So uh, um, there's a psychology that sees our values, our ways of being from within the culture as opposed to outside. For instance, um, to be mak- mahiya, to be shy, to be kind of differential um, is often seen as a negative thing. But it's actually from within a culture, it's seen from a decolonial perspective, a Filipino perspective. It's actually seen as a strength. It's about collectivity and being able to empathize and connect with other people in the group and put yourself kind of step back and you you decide how you um, step forward. So for me, those are the kind of things that I feel are very hopeful and are transformative. I'd love for our people, for people who are interested about Filipino spirituality and culture to see the beauty in it, to see the richness in it, and that there is a history that we're just beginning to to learn and unlearn. And unlearn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and unlearn, yeah. So um, what's next for you? When mm. this is done? Do, you, do you think this could be maybe... Maybe made into something else. More of a, 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 a would you film this performance? Would this be something just to get it out there to more people? Would you like to travel with the with sure, the show? I'd love to travel with the show. I'm getting um, some interest, and in people want to create it into a graphic novel or some animated go. type of yeah. series. I'm totally open to that. Uh, there's also like a queer love story that happens. So I I love that it's connected to that kind of trans identity in our Filipinx community that goes beyond the binary because the one of the features is we connect to the babaylan which are the women priestesses, seers, leaders in the community that were equal, if not actually um, guiding the men in a pre-colonial society. So I think there's a richness in that that I think will really invite people in to learn more. Yeah. Well, Hilot Means Healer runs October 9th to 27th at the Theater Center BMO Incubator. Now that's at um, 1115 Queen Street West. You can find tickets at kahoot.ca forward slash HELOT. That's H-I-L-O-T. Joe, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you kindly. Thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. 
She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Saturday night at 8 o'clock I know where I'm gonna go I'm gonna pick my baby up And take her to the picture show And joining us now for Saturday Night at the Movies is film critic Anne Brody. And if you missed it at TIFF, The Laundromat with Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, and Antonio Banderas hits some theaters this weekend before heading to Netflix later this month. Now, Anne, I believe you liked this film a lot. I did, and I may be in the minority. I don't Mm. think people are very keen on surrealism in films, and uh, it's quite choppy and episodic, but I found it quite invigorating. It follows a woman played by Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah, there's something I can't tell you. Uh, oh, almost and, got yes, her. Uh, okay, so she, her husband dies in a tragic accident, and she tries to get the insurance money due her that he paid out. Um, she finds that the insurance company long, no longer exists, or it may never have. So she does a bit of sleuthing work, this 70-odd-year-old woman, Hops on a plane to Nevis, where you it's a tax evasion mm-hmm. haven, mm-hmm. and begins to dig. <laughs> and it's just so outrageously funny, her storyline. And there are a lot of other storylines into this, the people who profit. And Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas play a couple of uh, slimy lawyers who are very entertaining. And they take us through the, the financial system's corruption worldwide and all these ways of making shell companies to hide money. Um, they're great. They, it's almost like a song and dance that they do. And uh, it opens with them <laughs> showing cavemen how to trade f- fire for benefits. And then it moves on up to the modern world over this incredible like single take camera shot. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. There's a really big surprise in it. And that's what I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. Now, it's um, unusual for me, and I've known you for a long time, for you to say you don't have the stomach to see a movie. And you do not and refuse to see Joker. And, of course, um, theaters are on high alert. Um, Joaquin Phoenix has refused to answer questions about the film's extreme violence. Um, and for people that aren't familiar with it, uh, it, it it's based on um, an incel person. That's the involuntary celibate community um, in Toronto, in the greater Toronto area. Well, in North York, we had um, a terrible incident um, with an incel person. uh, Almost a year ago, more than a year ago. Yeah, driving um, a van um, and killing uh, several people. Um, So anyway, what do you know about this movie and how how is it going to play out? Well, I know that it's very uh, polarizing. Uh, one critic called it pernicious garbage because it's basically two hours of this incel mowing people down with guns. And it's uh, someone else who, who has a really strong stomach told me it was deeply disturbing. On the other hand, some people are saying it's brilliant and very well made. Um, you know, but uh, you know, why can't Joaquin Phoenix answer a question about the violence? And, and you know, is he concerned about what may transpire afterwards. He walked out of an interview when he was asked that. Surely when you make something, you realize that it has consequences. Why can't you just address it? You know, so I just, uh, I find it offensive. Would Quentin Tarantino be asked a similar 
question? Because oh, yeah. Goodness and knows he'd he, answer. He would answer. He would answer very frankly. You might mm-hmm. not agree with him, but he would talk to you, yes. All right. Um, speaking of evil thugs, let's switch <laughs> over to where is my Roy Cohn? You know Roy Cohn? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Well, this is a documentary on the man who basically shaped the political will and personas of Richard Nixon, Joe McCarthy, um, Rupert Murdoch, through his Fox News, and, of course, you know who, Trump. Yes. So Roy Cohn died uh, in 86, but he lives on coming out of Donald Trump's mouth. He <laughs> refuses to take responsibility for things. He he turns uh, losses into victories just by saying they are. Wasn't he engaged to Barbara Walters? For a long, long time, yes. Yeah, I know. Weird. He was a, a, apparently a self-loathing gay man who took great glee in prosecuting during the Red Scare trials gay men because they were considered un, they were considered security risks. So this is a fascinating documentary um, because Roy Cohn, I always sort of knew about him. Vanity mm-hmm. Fair had a great article on him recently. But to see it here and to hear him speak... He loved the idea of being thought of as an executioner. He loved the idea that people were fearful of him, and he knew he'd have a bad end. Okay. Now, Bill Nye is one of my favorite actors. Now, sometimes, always, never. Where can I see this? What's going on? How did I not know this was happening? It's going to be in the theaters this week. Wow, yes, indeed. Really? Um, he's uh, he plays a father who's in England. He's a tailor, and. He, the buttoning thing on a jacket. Some sometimes button the top, always button the middle, never no, the bottom. bottom. So he's very pristine. But his obsession the last couple decades has been his missing son, the one who walked out during a game of Scrabble, because he's a really hard player. This man. Uh, so it's all. It's actually a portrait of grief, and the son who didn't go away and how he has given less and less and paid attention to less and seemingly loved less. But it's great. And now he's awesome. Now, a quick shout out for Amazon Prime Video's new series, Modern Love. Just tell us who some of the A-listers are are in this. We got Tina Tina Fey, Anne Hathaway, Dev Patel. I'm doing this. Kathleen Keener, Andrew Scott, and Ed Sheeran. My you believe crush. it? I know. I'm you have watching. a crush on him? Yeah, oh, he play, he plays a homeless guy who 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 hangs around this girl's apartment. Okay, so this is eight episodes, 30, 30 minutes each. Brilliant, brilliantly written, brilliantly it's acted and conceived. Yes, indeed. All right, thank you, Annie. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Joining us now is lifestyle expert Lena Almeida. And this week we are talking about skincare myths. And I hope we're talking about my favorite brand. We are talking Uh, about... I love making your day. Yes. I love this. Okay. (laughs) So we're in the fall season. It's here. And just ahead of the cold winter weather, I think it's the perfect time to reevaluate our skincare regimens mm-hmm. and make sure that they're working for us. And today I'm actually here to bust three myths about skincare um, and, of course, introduce you to a product that I've been using for two years with great results. And I know you're already a fan of the brand, so I can't yes. wait to chat about that. But first, the first myth quality skincare costs a lot of money. Of course, this is false. We know that it's all about finding the right formula for your skin. And sometimes even the most exotic ingredients simply aren't compatible with your skin type or deliver the results that you're hoping for. 
So we really need to get back to basics, and that is what is your skin type? How do you want your skin to look, and how do you want your skin to feel? And it doesn't necessarily mean that the most expensive is going to be the best for you. I had a friend who had the most beautiful skin, and I ran into her not long ago, and I said, what in the world are you using? And she told me, I'm not going to mention the product, right. but it's like 10 bucks yes. at the drugstore. This is it. I said, are you kidding? Like, your skin <laughs> is to die. I mean, it's gorgeous. And for me, if the choice is between a nouveau, trendy department store brand or a brand that has been on the drugstore shelf for years and continues to be stocked for good reason, yes, then exactly. I'm more likely to you know, exactly. stick with the tried exactly. and true favorites. I agree. So myth number two, it takes a long time to see results. False. In fact, with today's uh, advanced formulas and products jam-packed with ingredients that are targeted to your skin woes, chances are you should actually see a positive effect in as little to one to two weeks with the full results in a month or two. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Gone are the days where you fall for the sales pitch where they say, oh, you know what, you need a six-month supply before you'll really start to right. see results. No. And I think that's great because it gives you the confidence to try new products to find the right ones for you. So if you are purchasing from a mass retailer or drugstore, you know, it won't break the bank to try a few products to see what's right for your skin type and settle on one you love. And if you are trying an elite brand, don't feel bad to ask for a sample. So they mostly have samples on hand, whether it's, you know, a gift with purchase or they're happy to put it in a special, you know, new container for you. So ask for a sample. And then myth number three, you can use the same cream day and night. And now this is absolutely false because first and foremost, um, for your daily moisturizer, it should include SPF protection, at least 15, but preferably SPF 30. And I have here Aveeno Absolutely Ageless Daily Moisturizer SPF 30 for you to take a oh, look at. Oh, that's that's, and that, that's actually for you. I want oh, I want you to try that out. Amazing! Because, I am going to try that. Yeah, out. and I'll I tell use you it every day. Next time I, yeah. And the thing too is people don't understand when you're out in the winter and you've got the drying cold and wind and everything else. It's a different moisturizer than when you're at home in bed sleeping. Absolutely. And especially for your moisturizer during the day, the last thing you want to do is be battling shine or having your makeup migrate all over your face because it's it's too heavy. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely need that day and night cream. And let's talk about the night cream that I've been using now for two years and I'm just obsessed with. And that is... And your skin shows it. Oh, thank you. And that is the Aveeno Absolutely Ageless Restorative Night Cream. So a rich restorative night cream is key for ensuring your skin looks and feels its best. And we know that the Oveno brand is known for harnessing the power. Here, I'll just pass that over to you to take a look at. Restorative night cream. Yes. So we know that they use the power of active naturals ingredients. And in the absolutely ageless restorative night cream, they actually have a blackberry complex. And that combines blackberry leaf extract and dill to help improve the appearance of lines, wrinkles, and other signs of aging. And there at this, you go. Yeah, I, this is a very familiar sight for me because it's, yeah, it's, it's literally been on it's my back. Sitting, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And at the same time, the moisturizers help nourish the skin to help it looking and feeling excellent, healthy over time. So skin treated with products containing blackberry leaf and dill extracts have also been shown 
to improve elasticity. And the great news, you'll see the results of younger, healthier-looking skin in just one week. So... Absolutely ageless restorative night cream is dermatologist tested and hypoallergenic. Hypoallergenic. That's Key. important. Yep, Key. Definitely. And it is gentle enough for everyday use. You can find it nationwide at food, drug, and mass merchandisers. And of course, for more information, you can go to avino.ca. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really want you to let me know what you think of the products. Well, I'm going to let you see. Oh, thank you. Okay. I love it. <laughs> Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that... Variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that... You could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So, let's get... A a Meridian 5-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Think fancy fold-away screens are out of reach? Well, things just got interesting with Vista One retractable screens. Three models, smart technology, and innovative components like pleated mesh for extra strength. Transform any opening by adding a Vista One retractable screen and increase your living space, enjoy fresh air, keep insects out, and do it all in style. With a unique, affordable line of screens exclusive to Vista One, you're sure to find the perfect design match. Book a free consultation or go online to VistaOneInc.com, like I did. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, after years of hiding quietly on the back shelves of obscure bookstores, poetry is becoming fashionable again, especially with young people. But for many, like our next guest, it was never out of fashion. (laughs) Joining us now is Marion Fraser. She's a GTA mom, former English teacher and poet, who is about to launch a collection of poetry called As I Was Saying. Welcome to what she said. Thank you. Now, although some of your poems have appeared in anthology, uh, anthologies, as I was saying, is your first collection, and you say it aims to challenge poetic stereotypes. What are those stereotypes? Those who have fear of poetry suspect that it's elitist, mm-hmm. obscure, often rambling, subjective, um, and just not for the general audience. Pretty heavy going. But but we have poet laureates, so I mean society you know, believes in poetry, thinks poetry is wonderful. So where do you think the disconnect is on that elitist level that you were, were talking about? Where we're talking about society and society that awards laureates, uh, we tend to be talking perhaps about the kind of society that most people won't meet every day. Mm-hmm. The kind of person that I hope to contact through my poetry (laughs) is the kind of person that you would meet every day. What about young people? Um, As a teacher, um, I I know that when I, you know, I... I may I didn't ma- I majored in languages in university, but poetry was kind of like, ugh, 
you know, uh, I'd much rather read a book. And I'm not sure why that is. Well, or hopefully was. you'd like to read a book of poetry. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I find actually increasingly it's young people who are buying the poetry books and also putting out the poetry. While I was considering how I would do this mm-hmm. and thinking about the project, um, I became the poet evangelist so that I think uh, I, I tongue-in-cheek say I am. And uh, I would stop people, friends, and force poems on them. And I, was, <laughs> I, I would look at people of all ages, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly both genders, and, and as many interests as I could possibly get hold of. And it became a game. I wanted to find a poem for them. Well, this is this is funny that you said that because you were introduced to us by Anne Brody, our entertainment critic, and she saw a poem of yours on the phone. So were you forcing poetry on Anne? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm just wondering about with, with the young people aspect. Um, I remember with my children are in their 20s now, but when rap first started and they started getting into rap and I, I would listen to it to try to like sort of, you know, be concerned about like lyrics and things like that. But I was thinking to myself, this is poetry. This is what this is. So do you think that's the connection now? Absolutely. And in fact, I live with a rapper. Uh, my rapper son, who inspired a lot of my poems, is now 23 and works out of Ryerson, has a sound engineering degree, and, uh, and does in fact put out a lot of his own raps. Uh, at one point, when he was still in high school, he taught a rap class. And he was encouraged to do so by his English teachers who felt that it encouraged a facility with language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also helped, um, especially students who have difficulty expressing themselves, get over that difficulty and speak more easily. And certainly, uh, I, I think there was a bit of a disconnect. When you say poetry to a 16 year old, he or she won't immediately think of rap. Mm -hmm. And yet, of course, that's totally what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, poetry is popular at all levels now. So when you say he was an influence, so when we ask you to describe your poetic style, is the answer going to be rap? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, although uh, certainly I respect what rappers are doing now, and I find that it's in a process of transformation and flux, and and I think that's really exciting. But... um, my my way of coming to poetry was lengthy, and I wrote a lot of bad poetry in my time, and I recognize it perfectly as bad. But uh, around the time my son was four, I happened to be cuddling him one day, and uh, a poet a poem just started forming itself in my head around the moment. It's uh, the language that I use tends to be familiar language. I like concise never language. use a long word when a short word will do kind oh of. not at all i'll i'll use a four or five syllable word if oh, that's what okay. we'll do if that's what uh, we'll do but it needs to it needs to fit the context it mustn't be self indulgent and it uh, it needs to flow with the rhythm of, of natural speech. speech so what are some of the topics that you cover in your poetry well um the 
book that I'm putting out is divided into about 10 parts. And uh, each of the parts has a focus. Um, There is a collection called Being a Parent. There is a collection called All in the Family. There is a section called Politics. There is a section called Things That Go Bump in the Night. The, The poems don't fit all in one drawer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but where they do show a clear relationship is stylistically. I'd say my voice is what holds them together. And for me as well, there's always an audience. There's always a person that I'm... Generally, my audience is very small. Um, my book shows two coffee cups on the cover, and that tends to be how... I like to think my poet, my poetry communicates as one person to another mm-hmm. in a friendly chat that can go anywhere. Is there something in there for everyone, though? I hope so. Uh, so far, I haven't found anyone that I can't find a poem for. It's a challenge. It's game. But uh, I love to find a poem that I feel will resonate with a person. Now, you decided to self-publish. How did you come to that decision? Well, I had published in anthologies elsewhere, um, and gradually the poems were accumulating in my bottom drawer. (laughs) Uh, I had an agent for a bit who found me publishers who would be happy to take my poems. But generally... That came with a whole package of directions. Um, Publishers would say, well, we just want the poems that clearly relate most to a female audience. Or we just want the poems uh, that show a political connection. Or we just want the ghost poems. And I wanted to publish them all. Was it a difficult process? Self-publication turned out to be an extremely easy process, a lengthy process. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, it was a process that involved a lot of waiting in a lot of cases. So there would be nothing, nothing, nothing happening, everything happening. <laughs> Hurry up and wait. <laughs> so what do you hope people take away from reading your book? I hope a clear connection with a voice that they can identify with with experiences that they can identify with that resonate for them warmly Mm -hmm. for themselves. Where can people connect with you to learn more? Uh, My website is quite easy to find if you can spell my name. And the trick is that you have to be able to spell my name. Um, But I spell my name M-A-R-I-O-N, surname F-R-A-Z-E-R. Uh, my website is just marionfraser.com. Good luck with this, and thank you for um, teaching us a little bit about poetry. <laughs> well, thank you, and I would love to respond to the challenge and find a poem for each of you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect! 
Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Think fancy fold-away screens are out of reach? Well, things just got interesting with Vista One retractable screens. Three models, smart technology, and innovative components like pleated mesh for extra strength. Transform any opening by adding a Vista One retractable screen and increase your living space, enjoy fresh air, keep insects out, and do it all in style. With a unique affordable line of screens exclusive to Vista One, you're sure to find the perfect design match. Book a free consultation or go online to VistaOneInc.com, like I did. What she said, she's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. are listening to is Taking Me Away, the new single by Havens, who joins us now in studio. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Good to be with you guys. Well, this is the final single in the trilogy of songs you've recorded with Juno award-winning drummer Tim Oxford. Tell us what this song is about. So Taking Me Away kind of wraps up the trilogy. The first two songs also dealt with the theme of love. So Peace and Darkness was kind of talking about love from the standpoint of how love is fleeting. And then uh, Fall kind of talks about the stresses and monotony of of dating in this modern age. Mm -hmm. And then we come to uh, Taking Me Away Now, which is a lot more positive, ends things on a positive note. It's a song about finding true love, finding the real deal, and and just uh, going with that, basically. Is this all from personal experience? Somewhat, yeah. I I try and make it relatable, but yeah, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that certainly my own life experiences shape my writing, and this case is no exception. So what's coming up for you this year? I'm about to start recording um, an album slash EP. I'm not sure totally what it's going to be yet, but there's going to be a longer form release coming out um, early 2020, and we're going to spend the bulk of the next uh, year really working on that, and it's definitely going to be the best uh, work I've put out so far, so I'm going to take my time on that. Is there anyone you'd really like to work work with next on a project? Mm. Well, right now I'm still working with Ian Madden and uh, and Tim's going to be involved as well. So my, my, my last producer as well as Tim Oxford. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of producers that I really admire. Um, uh, Stephen Street is one fellow who's produced a number of artists that I really like, like like the Smiths and Morrissey and Blur. Yeah, those aren't um, bad names at those all. Those aren't bad no. names. So that's probably the first producer that I always think of. But um, there, there's a ton that I could rattle off. But yeah, I'm, I'm open to just networking and working with everybody. That's kind of where I'm at in this early stage of my career. So I'm, I'm totally open to that. So where can people find your music? Uh, the easiest place to go is musicbyhavens.com or follow us on any social media at musicbyhavens. Do you think it's easier now or more crowded now that, that you know, YouTube, the Internet, Spotify, everything is out there that people can access the music? Yeah, it's um, it's it has its positives and its negatives for sure. I think on on the positive side, it's very easy for an artist to release music. You don't need a record label. You don't need all this mumbo jumbo around you. You can put it out yourself um, for relatively. It, it's relatively inexpensive to put out your own music. But on the negative side, like you're saying, it is a very crowded field, and it really takes a long time, a lot of effort, and certainly a bit of money to cut through that 
noise. So it is difficult, but I think, you know, the cream will rise to the top. That's a phrase that me, Tim, and Ian always use is that if you're putting out really good quality stuff, it may take a while, but eventually, you know, you will succeed. So that's the philosophy I'm trying to trying to live by. Well, thank you very much for joining us again today. And that is it for What She Said. We'll be back again next Saturday at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. And singing us out now in our live studio sessions, here is Havens with Taking Me Away. The sun shone down And I knew it was over This time it was clear We both were falling out Time drags on Drags far too long When you can't make any love with the one you love She'd laugh at everything I'd say I know you'll treat me better She said she'd kiss it all away I know you'll kiss me better Was wrong to think it was okay Don't try and tell me it's alright I know you're taking me What's left is dead Let's bury this old heart Guess I just hadn't Hadn't earned it yet, baby She'd laugh at everything I'd say I know you'll treat me better She said she'd kiss it all away I know you'll kiss me better wrong to think it was okay don't try and tell me it's all right i know you're taking me away i know we both can feel it i know you're taking me away I know you're taking me away I know we both can feel it I know you're taking me away
It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.